Well, we are spending these final Sundays of summer uh, looking at some different psalms. Uh, someone asked me this morning, hey, are we in Psalm 2 today since we were in Psalm 1 last week? And I said, no, um, today is going to be a different psalm. I'm not going consecutively through all 150 psalms. When we do these series every few summers, it's kind of a chance to cherry pick, as they say, um, just some of my favorites or some ones that I think are important and uh, maybe even recycle some ones that we've looked at before because the Psalms, the Psalter, um, we, we all need it. We need Psalm 23 again and again and again. The Lord is our shepherd. He's your shepherd. He's my shepherd. The next part, we've most of us have it memorized, I shall not want. Another way to translate that is I lack nothing. You lack nothing if God is your shepherd. So Psalm 23, we could, we could look at every day, every Sunday, and so on. Uh, we, we aren't going to be in Psalm 23 today, but just a way of saying the Psalms are rich. And as we noted uh, last week, the Psalms are Hebrew musical poetry. And we do need to remember that, even as we, we study them on Sundays, as maybe you are reading them from time to time. Uh, these were meant to be sung, and there's a poetic nature to it. I'll, I'll note something about that in our psalm for the day. And then this, this sentence, just again, something to consider. As musical poetry, the psalms are words spoken to God, or they're words spoken about God, and yet, because they are in the scriptures, they are God's word too, like for us. And so there's this weird connection. Even we'll really know that today. This is, I was thinking about it with the last song we just sang, uh, The Goodness of God. That's very similar in a lot of ways to the psalm we'll look at. However, as great as that song is, it's not holy scripture, but the psalms are. So they're words to God, about God, but it's God's word, so it's for us. And so God speaks to us. Uh, through the, the Psalms. We, we noted last week, and I'm just going to go through this quickly. As I said already, the Psalms are musical poems, they're hymns, they're prayers. They were meant to be sung. Uh, someone last week messaged me that they had done a skit one time with their family where they had to sing and dance uh, one of the Psalms, and uh, uh, we're not going to be doing anything like that, uh, but, but just remember that. Uh, number two, um, as Hebrew poetry, um, it's in, in, intended to be emotive, and there's a lot of emotions that come out in the Psalms if, if we let ourselves see it and feel it. And sometimes we just need to really slow down and, and try to get the force of the emotions. So it's intentionally emotive. And then number three, um, as poetry, um, there, there's a lot of metaphors that happen. And, and last week we were in Psalm 1, there's a couple similes in there. And so it does have uh, these, these characteristics and so again, we just need to come back to that again and again. There are types of psalms. Again, I'm not going to spend as much time on this. We, we did a lot last week. You can listen to that message if you'd like to kind of go back. But like the whole Bible is not one genre of literature. It's not just history, although there is history in the Bible. There's also apocalyptic literature that talks about the future, and, and there's Poetry, there, is, there are letters, and, and so on. Um, even within the Psalms, then, we have these different types. And so scholars have come up with uh, these seven, and there's some other ways that they can be categorized or classified, but there are laments. Well, we're going to look at that today. The Psalm we're in today is a lament, so I'll say more about that in a moment. There are Thanksgiving Psalms, there are hymns of praise, 
Uh, there are psalms that are specifically salvation and historically uh, di- dictating what God has done in the past. There are these uh, psalms of celebration and affirmation that can be classified again even further into what scholars call royal or enthronement or songs of Jerusalem, songs of Zion. There are wisdom psalms. That was part of Psalm 1 last week. There's, and we'll see some of it again even today. There's a hint of like what you read in Proverbs, wisdom literature, kind of this genre that existed um, when, when this came out. And then there are psalms that are categorized as songs of, of trust. So all of that is helpful to keep in mind as, as we read, as we study, as we look at the Psalms. And there's some great resources. I mentioned last week a book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's a little paperback. It's worth having on your bookshelf, um, whether it's for Psalms, for Genesis, for the letters of Paul, anything. It, it helps, helps you understand some of the introductory issues related to all the Bible and all the books. So that's one resource. But we are blessed. And like Psalm 1 uh, said, I'll just read these words from uh, where we were last week. The Psalm, the Psalter, the Psalms, all 150, all five books, or four books rather, as they're, five, five books as they're divided up. Um, psalm 1 is such a fitting first Psalm because it, it just tells us that blessed is the person whose delight is in the law or instruction of the Lord. And that person who's blessed or happy from God, who delights in God's word, meditates on God's word day and night. And you will be blessed if you delight in the Psalms. I believe you will. And the whole of scripture as well. Uh, But they are good for us. Have you ever had times of fear? Have you ever had times of loneliness? Have you ever struggled with guilt over past sin or like an hour ago sin? Have you you ever struggled with needing direction in life? If you can identify with those four categories, you're human. And um, if we're honest, all of us have experienced those things. And again, I I say in joking, right, an hour ago sin, but like this is real stuff. Being afraid and being feeling lonely. Isn't it amazing how we can be with people that we love and know us, but there's times when we feel alone. And maybe we don't even have a lot of people around us, and so we feel alone. We, some of us know that, or we've known seasons of that. Or again, the guilt over our sin. We, we know we've been forgiven. Maybe we know it up here. If we're a Christian, if we've heard the gospel, and yet, oh, we're, we're, we're just racked by guilt over past failures and sin. Or, or the need for direction. A job, maybe having to do with a relationship, maybe having to do with the next chapter in life. Um, the Psalms are amazing in how they address these things. Maybe not specifically. If you're trying to figure out if you should move to Florida or Texas, you're not going to find a psalm that will address that. And I can just tell you, you need to stay in California. We need you. But we can back up a bit and we can see that the psalmist, the psalms and the psalm writers, they address these kinds of things. And we can, we can find truth 
in these ways. And so today, we come to Psalm 25, not Psalm 2. We're jumping ahead a few to Psalm 25. I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 25 if you brought your Bible, and I encourage you to bring your Bibles. We put some out for you to use if you forgot. Uh, And then we do have some to give away. If you need a Bible, come ask me, and I'd be happy to provide one for you. Psalm 25. Um, Again, Hebrew poetry. You're not going to hear me sing anything in Hebrew ever. Uh, But what I can tell you, and, and we don't see this in English, maybe your Bible is like mine, and you've got uh, maybe a footnote. Mine says this. There's a little number seven right above the big 25, and that little footnote says, this psalm is an acrostic poem, each verse beginning with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So again, we won't note that in English, but that's how it was composed, and there's other psalms that do that as well. These Uh, were poems. And one great way to to compose a poem is to do an acrostic. And so this is of David. And so David used this method of um, coming up with uh, what he wanted to say. And so again, while we won't feel that in English, that's just something for you you to know. And as I already mentioned, this this is a a lament. And and lament, uh, again, there's lots that can be said about lament. and, And even again, the types of laments can be categorized. But Essentially, the core of a lament is a cry for help during distress. So we're going to hear that today. So if you've ever felt fear, if you've ever felt lonely, if you've ever struggled with guilt over your sin, if you've ever needed direction, those four things in particular, you're going to hear David bring to God. Remember, lament can have a a tone of complaint, but different from... God's people in the wilderness who grumbled and complained with each other, these laments, these are prayers to God. And so David here is bringing his cry for help to God related to these four areas. And and again, we we can relate. We we struggle with those areas and other things. And I hope and, and have been prayerful that if you are going through those or just if you're human and you have life happening, that this might be one of your new best friends today, tomorrow, and uh, forever. So I'm going to read all of Psalm 25. We're only going to spend most of our time on the first 11 verses, really the first three stanzas or so of the poem, but I'll read the whole thing for context. Psalm chapter 25. Of David, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, In you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait. All the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. 
He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. I hope you heard some of those themes of fear and loneliness and needing direction and, and needing to have guilt over sin dealt with. They're, they're there all throughout. Uh, commentator Derek Kidner in his commentary on the Psalms, he notes that the Hebrew alphabet with the and, and there's an occasional irregularity in that acrostic. Nonetheless, uh, this psalm supplies um, this framework in which the pressure of enemies, the need for guidance, and the burden of guilt all take turns having a dominant concern. Clearly, David had some specific things in mind, and we don't get any more insight. There are a few psalms where we're able to piece together the situation from the history of what he's singing about and writing about. We, we don't know here in Psalm 25 what those specific instances were. But again, these are real human things. Fear, guilt for sin, loneliness, the need for direction and guidance. And as I already said, as is true of laments, there is this bringing our fears, bringing our requests, our, our need for him to him in prayer. Um, scholars know that there's at least 18 times that a request or petition is here in this psalm. Um, you know, make me know your ways, teach me, uh, lead me, and on and on and on. Remember, we're, we're going to note that 18 different petitions all within what we have in English is 25 uh, or 22 verses that make up Psalm 25. One writer says this, David asks God to guard his life and deliver him from foes. Verse 20, he asks God to turn to him and be gracious and relieve his loneliness. Verse 16, he asks God to remember the sins of his youth. Verse, not remember the sins of his youth. Verse 7, to pardon his guilt. Verse 11 and 18. And in verse 4 and 5, he asks God to take away his uncertainty and confusion by making him know God's ways and leading him in truth. In other words, David comes to God with his fear and loneliness and guilt and confusion and pleads with God to make things right and to lead him in the way 
of love and faithfulness. That's, that's what we need. That's what we need. I've had the privilege almost every day this week of spending some time in this. And finally last night, I was out for my one, one outing for a little bit. And I started humming something. And I thought, what? That sure sounds like Psalm 25, but it's kind of got a King James-ish tone to it. And then more and more of the words came back. And then I got home and got onto the good old-fashioned Google and realized I was humming a song that I grew up singing at church, a Maranatha chorus from the 70s, um, Unto Thee, O Lord. And it just is this psalm, like and a little echoing back and forth. And I'm seeing Pastor Dave Gardner lead this at Hessel Church many, many years ago. I think it must have been the context. And so that I found it online and I just was amazed at that. Huh. This psalm that I didn't realize was deep in me, but the Maranatha Calvary Chapel people in the 70s, right around the time of my birth, some 70 years ago or 50 years ago, penned this. I'm not that old yet, older yet, uh, 50 coming up. And, and, and I have that in there. I sang it, and, it, and I realized, wow. And, and so this, this has been good medicine for me, and I hope for a few minutes today it'll be good medicine, and as I've said, that it'll become one of your best friends. So what I want to do is just kind of move through, as I said, the first three stanzas. We won't move through all of it. And uh, there's one scholar, his name's Tremper Longman, and, and I'm just using his headings. And I think, and at the end, I'm going to take those headings and add a few things. And it becomes what I'm calling today the path of God's guidance. Psalm 25 provides for us the path of God's guidance for whatever we're facing, whether it's those big fear, loneliness, guilt, needing direction, or any number of things besides those, the path of God's guidance. And, and so the first heading over the first stanza then is, I trust you, God. So let's look at verses one to three. I trust you, God. David writes, to you, Lord, I lift up my soul. Uh, the CSV translation uh, renders it like this. To you, Lord, I appeal to. I appeal to you. Or I love the new living for this verse. Oh, Lord, I give my life to you. To lift up your soul to God is to appeal to him, to lift your life up to him. And it's an interesting Hebrew phrase that gets translated a bunch of different ways elsewhere. But it has this idea of, of, of appealing, of directing our desires toward God. And, and David starts with that. Notice he doesn't start with a prayer. He's got fear. He's got loneliness. He's got guilt. He needs direction. But he doesn't start there. He says, I lift my life to you, God. I, I direct my desire to you. I give you my life. I appeal to you. And then... Verse two, I trust you. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult or triumph over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. The CSV renders that phrase those who act treacherously without cause. He begins with this admission of, I trust you. I'm dealing with real things, God, and I've got plenty to ask. But before I get there, 
I'm going to confess or admit, I, I trust you. I direct myself to you. And then he goes into this discussion about, let me not be ashamed or disgraced. Let not my enemies triumph over me. And again, it's helpful to remember that biblical Israel, even in, and there's places like this today, there are cultures like this, but not so much where we live, but in biblical uh, Israel, it's an honor and shame society. It's, it's a culture where um, to be honored refers to the experience of being esteemed by your group um, or others around you. And, and so if you do something that, that shames your group, um, then that's pointed out. And now it's not just you that feels it, but your family and there's repercussions for whether people will do business and, and all these things with you. So to be honorable and to have an honorable reputation Big, 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 big deal. And again, we, we don't feel that as much in our more individualistic Western world as they did in biblical Israel and as other cultures do uh, even today. One writer says, to be put to shame means to lose the social position which negatively affects every familial relationship and business interaction. For an enemy to take honor at the psalmist's expense is no small matter in a society with foundations built on this bedrock of honor and, and shame. And so David, in saying, God, I direct my appeal to you. I'm coming to you. I'm laying my life before you. I trust you. And please don't let me be put to shame by my enemies. And then, like good laments, David's honest. God, may they be put to shame. And that's just always, I just think, can I really pray that? Not that I have any enemies trying to shame me. I'm not aware of any, but, but is it okay to, it's okay to be honest with God and, um, and let God work on those things. Better to be honest with him, with what I'm thinking and feeling than to, to maybe tell some others. But, but he says, no, God, I, please don't let me be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph or exult over me. We might ask, what might it, what might it look like for him to, to be in a place of honor or to remain in a place of honor? Well, actually, we could look just one psalm prior. Look at Psalm 24, verse 4. This is just a summary of, of what it means to, to be honored, to maintain a place of honor. It's, it's he or she who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up their soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Now, again, this isn't perfection. In fact, David, over and over again, is going to talk to God here about his sin and his past sins. But, but that's, that's the picture of a person who, who is honored by the Lord, honored by, in, in biblical Israel, was those who have these clean hands, which is a picture of being forgiven, washed, in a right place with God, who, who is on this right direction. It might be baby steps going on, but, but this is the direction of, of their life. So again, the first part of God's path of guidance that David needs, that, that we get the benefit of looking in on and, and that we need, can be summarized by, by trust. I trust you, God. If you need some guidance for any of those big areas of fear, loneliness, guilt, direction, or something else, the place to begin is with trust. God, I will trust you with my life. It can be hard to do 
But that's where we, we must begin with David. But then we can, number two, start asking for some things. And here's the summary of verses four to seven. Teach me, God, your ways. The second part of God's path of guidance is to seek him and to seek him on his terms. That's key. Seeking God, God, teach me your ways. And friends, that means we come again and again to this book. What are your ways? Who are you, God? And what do you want from me? And this book continuously is and ought to be stop number one for for asking God to teach us his ways. Here's how David puts it, verses four through seven. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me or guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. We'll come back to that phrase. Verse six, remember, it's a great word. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and remember your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. If I don't say it, now I'll forget because it's not in my notes. Number seven, verse seven, I'm sorry, verse seven is a verse to underline. And if you are struggling to know if God has forgiven you for something, read this verse and reread this verse and reread this verse. And I'll say a little bit more in a moment, but um, this is gospel truth from the Psalms. And we can read it in light of what we know from the New Testament and in light of of Jesus. So this second stanza where David now begins to pray for him to be taught God's ways, it's filled with requests. Teach me, make known to me your ways, lead me. Remember, that word comes up three different times in two verses. And as I said, remember here is an amazing verse. To remember isn't just about, you know, like a cognitive thing. And of course, David doesn't want God to remember his sin. Uh, He wants God to remember God's mercy. But it's not just about, like, think about it, God. Um, This word here is is a, it implies action. God, as you remember your mercy, as you remember your steadfast love, your covenant love, that's that's your faithful love. That's like when we sing the song, your love endures forever. Some translations translate it that way. That's God's covenant love. And for us, on this side of the cross, friends, God's covenant with us is through who? Jesus. Jesus made a covenant with us by what he did on the cross. He bled and 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 initiated the new covenant. And so when we read this, God, remember your mercy and your steadfast love, your covenant love, your faithful love, your never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's saying, remember the cross, God. You promised on the cross to deal with my sin and it's been dealt with. So we want God to act and to to point to those truths. And then he says, 
But don't remember, don't act on the sins of my youth, my transgressions. And again, he comes back. Again, he appeals to God, according to your steadfast love, according to that covenant love, remember me. And then, for the sake of your goodness, Lord. I love how David has no problem asking God to teach him, but he's reminding God of what God has said. God, you've promised. God, you acted. Act on it. So, so instructive for us. You and I need to pray, God, teach us, teach me your ways. And one of the ways we can pray that is to take David's lesson, learn from David's lesson here and, and appeal to what we know from the scriptures. His truth, to be led in his truth. Again, to be taught. And then the promise, you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Now, you know, I'm going to get cynical for a moment. There's no way David waited for God all day long. He's a poet. He's got his harp or whatever he played. And it's just poet, poetry, right, Paul? You already noted that. I don't know if, if, if you can fall into that. The scriptures remind us of how we ought to live life. And maybe David wrote that because he didn't wait for God all day long. I think it's the NIV that translates it, hope in you all day. So it kind of brings some of the idea what, what this word might mean. To wait on the Lord doesn't just mean to sit back and do nothing all day long. It, it's, it can carry this idea of hoping in, which is another way of speaking of trusting in, although the word trust comes up already, a more specific word for trusting in. But we, we can do that. And the problem becomes, you know, maybe you're like me, I can start my day and I'm the first one up in my house usually, and it's quiet, and I can grind my coffee beans, and I can get the water ready, and, and it's open the windows, and there's a cool breeze, and it's like the greatest few moments of the day, and then it all falls apart pretty quickly, and no one else has got up yet. It's just in my own mind, my own to-do list, whatever it may be, and all of a sudden, I, I thought I was going to hope in God today and, you know, the, the caffeine would help and all these other things. But all of a sudden, I start waiting and hoping in, will I get done what I'm supposed to do today? My work to-do list, oh, I've got this growing list of chores at home and things that need to be dealt with. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm waiting in or hoping in getting that stuff done. And I need to join David in remembering that I need to hope or wait for him all day, even as I go about the things I got to do. No, my hope is not in checking off every box. My hope is not in, you know, getting to the end of the day and, you know, having not yelled or having not whatever. My, my hope is in him. My, my, my goal is to wait on him, even as I do life. So again, this is about God, teach me your ways. So the first part of the path of God's guidance is to trust. God, I trust you then. 
we've seen here in the second stanza, we, we ask God for things, we begin to request, but it's really about being taught his way. And again, I just think Psalm 25 is beautiful with what it means to be taught his way. But then we have a third stanza, and, and this will be our third movement this morning. Verses 8 to 11, God is good. So I trust you, God, teach me your ways, and you're good, and you're good. Let's look at verses 8 through 11. He's already said about the goodness of God there at the end of verse 7, for the sake of your goodness, remember. But now he goes on even more. He says, good and upright is the Lord. And therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Again and again, David comes back to, God, it's all about your covenant love and your faithfulness. For those who keep your covenant and your testimonies, for for your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is, it is Great. Again, the stanza begins by expanding on this attribute of God's goodness. We saw that at the end of verse 7. And, and God's goodness and his uprightness, what does he do? He teaches sinners. Even though David wants to live an honorable life and have these clean hands that, that live a certain righteous way, David knows he doesn't live that way perfectly David, David understands that uh, while he may be right with God, he still sins. And while we may be forgiven and we may be saints in Christ, we still sin. As the reformer said in, in translating the Latin, at the same time, just and sinner. We are just, justified, righteous in Christ. Our sin, past, present, future is dealt with. But in practice, we fall short and we need again and again to say, God, forgive me because of what Christ has done. Forgive me, I'm sorry. Pardon my guilt, pardon my sin. You're good, you're good. Teach me your ways for your name's sake. And, and then right before all that, this idea of humility comes up, that God leads the humble in what is right. And that's a truth from beginning to end of scripture. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. To live a posture of humility is simply to, to live a life, God, I need you. I mean, ultimately, that's what it means to be humble. God, I do need you. If you don't show up, I, I won't make it. I can't do life on my own. And yet we, we try hard to do life on our own. But God gives grace to the humble. He leads the humble. He teaches the humble his way. And verse, verse 10, the paths, the ways of the Lord are his steadfast love and his faithfulness for those who keep his covenant not, and his testimonies. And again, not for those who are perfect, but for those who, who walk in it. And, and again, what does that look like then to walk in it? it? It is to live humbly. It is to acknowledge that I sin and fall short. God, you're good. And so I need you to teach me and to lead me in your steadfast love and your, your mercies, uh, in, in your way, your faithfulness, as I seek to live in light of these truths. God is good. God is good. So summarizing these ideas then, 
the path for God's guidance, whether it be I'm dealing with fear, God, about something. The path for God's guidance, whether it's I'm lonely, I, I, I'm lonely, God. The path for guidance, if you're, you've got guilt over stuff. The path for guidance, if you actually need specific direction, we can summarize in this way. I trust you, God. I trust you. Teach me your ways. You're, you're good. I'm a sinner, but you're a greater savior. I need to live humbly before you, and I need to follow your word, your covenant, your instruction. And I will wait for you all day long, not just passively doing nothing, but I will hope in you as I go about living this life in your path of of guidance. I hope you see, friends, why Psalm 25 can be a new best friend to you and what you're going through. So, so good. J.D. Greer, he's a pastor of of a large church in uh, the East Coast, one of the Carolinas, I forget, Uh, but he's a writer and author as well. And he reminds us that the gospel, so now let me pause with his quote for a moment. The gospel, the word that means good news, And in the Bible, the good news is specifically talking about the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ to come and live the perfect life we don't, can't live, to then die the death we ought to die for our sin of not living the life God calls us to, and that if we believe in him and what he's done and trust in his righteousness and then his forgiveness that's offered, he will deal with our sin, forgive us, he'll make us his own, and we will have this right relationship with God. That's the good news, the gospel, and that is what the scriptures explain from Genesis to Revelation, over two testaments, 66 books, stories, the poetry, all of it, we have to remember that overarching theme. So then as we even approach this this psalm once again, this, this path of God's guidance of, again, walking in trusting him and in, in admitting and asking him to teach us his ways. We're sinners, but he's a greater savior, living humbly. He's good. We'll follow your instruction and we'll wait for you. We'll hope in you. What we're talking about is hoping in that, that gospel. You're not hoping in how good can you practice these four steps today. Your hope, you're waiting in what God has done. And so J.D. Greer then says, the gospel is not just the diving board off of which we jump into the pool of Christianity. Oh, it is, but it's not just the diving board into Christianity. The gospel is the pool itself. The grace Lori spoke of as she shared her God moment earlier. This is Christianity, friends. It's God's grace. We don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve to say, God, I trust you. We don't deserve to say, God, teach me your ways. But God has lavished his love on us through Christ. And that's what we're to hope in all the day long, to wait in all the day long as we go about navigating so many different things. The Psalms are amazing. And this Psalm of Lament of David for some circumstance of things we don't know, only God apparently knows, was written for us, 
to learn some truths. Remember, the Psalms are to God, but they are in God's word, so they're for us, and we can learn. And I hope this might be an encouragement. Would you stand and let me close this in prayer? Thank you, Father, for Psalm 25 and a little bit of time today to look at the first three stanzas. Help help us, help me, help my brothers and sisters to swim in the pool of the gospel, the pool of your grace, to believe the gospel again and again and again, to have that be our hope what we're waiting in, what we're living in as we deal with fear and loneliness and guilt and the need for direction. Teach us your way. Make us humble. Thank you that you've forgiven us. And as I already prayed, I pray again, we love you, we need you, and we can't live without you. In Jesus' name, amen.